Oh Lord, we are lost for words after an experience like that of your presence so near, moving through this place, Lord, touching hearts, drawing us deeper into your love. Thank you. We thank you and praise you. And we have come before you this morning to worship you and to acknowledge that you are a holy God. You are the great I am, the almighty, our rock of ages. We come with joyful hearts, Lord, hearts filled with gratitude for all you have done in our lives and in the life of our nation in the past week. We thank you for the answers to prayer that we have seen, the sense of your presence at unexpected times that surprised and delighted us, the assurance of your love and forgiveness, the certainty you gave when we have been in doubt, the peace you have given in the midst of trials, the guidance and answers you gave when we were confused, the sustaining comfort you give in our grief, the strength you gave when we were afraid, the wisdom you gave in our uncertainty and the power you gave in our weakness. Lord, we love you so much and have so much to thank you for and we praise you because you are the all-sufficient one. In every circumstance, you have the answer. You are the answer. We especially thank you for the result of the election last weekend not only the outcome of having a Christian Prime Minister with a strong mandate for the future, but for the way you moved throughout our nation and confounded all the experts. We rejoice in the truth of your word that tells us men will make their plans, but you will have your way. Lord, you are mighty and unchanging. You are the same yesterday, today and forever, and your word will stand for all eternity. Help us to know your word, to use it more, to quote it more, to pray it more. Forgive us for the times we have treated it casually and not as the precious gift that it is. Your voice speaking to our hearts and our minds through your spirit, transforming our lives and renewing our minds. Loving Father, as we begin this new chapter in our nation's history, we pray for guidance for all our members of Parliament, whether Liberal, Labor or Independent. Please help them to be wise, to be honest and truthful, to be respectful, to be diligent, to be good stewards, to be peacemakers, to be kind and just. We pray these things for ourselves as well. Help us to be the best we can be and to give our best to you and to others in our families, in our church, in our relationships and encounters we have throughout the week. Help us to be like Jesus. As his life is seen in us, may people also feel his love through us. Even though we are so grateful for a new parliament, Lord, you know that is not our greatest need. We continue to pray for spiritual revival for our nation. We see, want to see a powerful move of your Holy Spirit come upon all people, touching and convicting hearts, bringing healing and wholeness as people repent and turn to Jesus. That is what will transform our land and overcome the divisions, the violence, the addictions, 
to heal and restore marriages and families, to see the elderly and babies in the womb protected, the end of pornography and for all sexual relationships to be in alignment with your word. Bring revival, Lord, we pray. And may it start with each one of us as we stand in awe of your holiness and majesty. And we, who with unfailed faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his, transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Father, this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Carol, for that prayer. Um, kind of feel like I don't really need to say anything now. <laughs> that was awesome, amazing. Um, Joe and I had some time with Carol this week, and we are so blessed as a church to have Carol head up our prayer ministry team. So blessed. And I think we just saw a reason why that is the case. Someone who is has a heart for God and has a heart for prayer and has a heart to see things changed through prayer. And uh, I am blessed. And Carol, I think um, we're going to see amazing things happen through your ministry in years to come. I really believe that. Um, this morning's message uh, is one that's hard to give, not because it's controversial uh, or theologically hard to get our heads around. It's one that is difficult because Jesus has to preach it to the preacher first <laughs> before he gives it to the congregation, so it's difficult for me. Um, it's something that I, I often come back to time and time again. Um, and the Lord has challenged me uh, in the week, in the last couple of weeks, uh, in my own personal devotion and my quiet times with him. Um, in preparing for our leadership day that happened a couple of Saturdays ago, it was a wonderful time. Uh, one of the the things that we watched was a Craig Rochelle leadership podcast. And by the way, I encourage you to look it up. Um, it's six steps to your best year yet. Um, and his first step was based on who you want to be, what discipline do you need to start? He said, don't just start with, you know, what do we need to do to better ourselves? So if I want to be a better leader, if I want to be a better husband, if I want to be a better parent, you know, I've just got to think what I have to do. Don't start with the do, but start with the who you want to be and allow that to influence your doing. So, for example, you know, if I'm wanting to be be a caring pastor, then I could instill a discipline of writing to people and blessing them. That could be a discipline that I could start. If I want to be uh, more understanding in the word, which is what Carol just said, and know the word better, then I would, I would do a devotional quiet time every day where I'm reading his word. Um, and I was trying to think of a, a personal example of how this motivation works when you do the be first before the do. Uh, we have had the same mattress, uh, Joe and I, since we got married, and it's developed this dip in it where I sleep. 
And uh, I've got a bit of a bad back, and it's been something that I've wanted to change for so long, but we've never had the money to do it. And we've just done some refinancing, and there's some money left over, so we thought, hey, let's get a different mattress so I don't have to sleep in a little little dip. Um, but the problem was, rather than just replace the mattress, we thought we'd go king size, because all the kids that come in bed in the morning, um, there's, I normally get rolled off the end. Uh, so let's go king size. So that's now changed because we have to now get a different bed base and we have to get different sheets and you have to get the whole cotton caboodle. Um, and so we've done this. And this is a picture of before. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. No worries. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's the dressing gown. That's the famous dressing gown. Um, this is this is a tidy day, really. Uh, I, I'm one of those kind of guys that there's a wardrobe there, but I'm a floorwardrobe kind of guy that you know I can just take my pants off and then leave them there and then just put them back on in the morning. Um, so that that was the before and now. Ooh, look at that! Yes, it's it's like a luxury resort. It's like a like a hotel. Um, I walk in there and go, wow, you know, I'm, I'm on holiday. This is somewhere different. And I look at that and I go, I want to be someone who has a sanctuary to go to. I want to be someone who has a room that looks like that every day. And because I want to keep that up, because I want that to be what I see, because I want that to be what I feel, I want to feel that sense of, oh, this is... You know, the non-kid space. This is ah, luxury. I want to, because I want to feel that, therefore, the things that I do, I'm picking up my clothes and I'm making my bed every morning. Hallelujah. <laughs> right? See how the, the influence of the being shapes the, the doing. Um, and so that's what I want to speak about this morning is how we develop a real sense of the disciplines in our Christian walk, the disciplines that allow the being to happen. How do we develop the doing uh, in, a, in a good way? And I want to look at the story of Daniel, uh, particularly Daniel in the lion's den. Now, it's a very popular story. Uh, we all know of it, um, particularly Uh, It's often in kids' stories, in kids' Bibles, where it's kind of portrayed as, you know, fluffy little lions and Daniel's cuddling up to them, and that wasn't the case at all. Uh, But I don't really want to focus on the event of Daniel in the lion's den. I actually want to focus on what I think is the more miraculous part of the story, and that is the story that talks about Daniel's character his faith, and the actions of Daniel, and how Daniel handled himself. It's truly inspiring. So just a quick snapshot of context. Before Daniel gets to the lion's den, Daniel, uh, the book of Daniel is a long period of time, and Daniel is taken into captivity uh, with all of the Israelites into Babylon as a teenager. And as a teenager, he uh, develops strong um, governing skills 
and kings and leaders look to him as someone to be used uh, as um, as an advisor, as that sort of thing. And so Daniel is, is very good at um, understanding how things work and how things need to be. And so he serves under King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar's passed away. Uh, Belshazzar comes in. He passes away. And then now at Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel is 80 years old. He's now... 80. So a lot of time has passed. Daniel has seen a lot of things. He has served under a a number of different uh, rulers. But now, uh, while kings and kingdoms have fallen around Daniel, Daniel remains steadfast. While kings and kingdoms have fallen, Daniel remains the same. And now in this new role, with a new nation he is serving, With a new king, he faces a new challenge. And in this environment, we're going to see how Daniel stands strong, unshaken by the events around him, and with a supernatural strength that can only come from a long-term faith relationship developed daily with the living God. He can only stand firm based on the long-term faith relationship developed daily with his living God. So what's this new challenge? Well, uh, Darius is now king and he's, uh, he's taken over the Babylonian Empire. He's uh, the Persian guy and he's a bit of a gun and he sets up this way of ruling where he sets up 120 what's called satraps, fancy name for kind of government officials, Guys who make sure the, the finance is done, you know, the, 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 they're looking after military sort of things and that sort of thing. And he's got three guys in charge of this 120 government officials. One of them is our friend Daniel. And Daniel is so good at what he does. He is so good at what he does that Darius goes, you know what? I don't need all these other people. I'm just going to put Daniel in charge. He's going to be my, my second in charge, my prime minister. And, of course, the other two officials get jealous. Um, and so they rally together and they get um, all of the satraps and these other two guys and they come to the king and they're going to work out how to get Daniel down. And this is something that we see in our in our. Um, Society, it's called the the tall poppy syndrome. We don't like other people getting above us, and so we simply try to drag them down. Um, And so I'm just going to find it here to read because I was supposed to have my Bible up here with me. Um, uh, If you've got your Bibles, Daniel... Chapter 6, I'm just going to read from verse 4. So at this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. 
that's not the right word, is it? <laughs> Negligent. <laughs> right? Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel. So he is so above reproach. We'll never find anything against him unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and satraps went as a group to the king. Interesting that they go as a group. Let's, let's, let's come as, as a, a big horde of people, as the majority, because that sort of makes it look like it's more important, right? We've got the answer. If Daniel's out on his own, he can't be right. We've got to be right because we're the majority. And they come as a group and they go, Oh, may King Darius, may you live forever. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and and they, they butter him up and they say, The royal administrators and, and advisors and governors all agree that the king should issue an edict to enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the 30 days except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into a lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians. So there's a, there's a system in place. If the king decrees something, puts it in writing, it is done, it can't be undone. So, so they're trying to get it in writing so that they can get Daniel and they... And that sort of thing. So that's that's the scene that is set. These guys are trying to pull Daniel down. And before we go any further in the story, there's one important important principle to bring out. And that is when you are living God's way, when you are doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord, when you're standing up for God, and what he says, and not what humanity says, you can expect opposition. You can expect opposition. See, we have this mindset in our churches today that it's that Christianity should be that it's all cruisy. See, Jesus never said that it would be easy. He never said that there, we wouldn't face hardships. In fact, he said the opposite. He said that we will face persecution because of our faith in him. He said, take up your cross daily, follow me. He didn't say, take up your easy chair and follow me. He didn't say, take up your pina colada and follow me. All right? We can expect opposition. So Jesus never says that following him and trusting in him, doing what is right according to his purposes will be easy, but, 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 but. He promises to be with us. He promises to be with us and that the Holy Spirit would guide and comfort us. And so Daniel knew this. Daniel knew the presence of God would be with him no matter what. He had a lifetime of experiences. This was kind of nothing new to him. In fact, there's some pretty similar elements to this as the fiery furnace. He's seen it all before and he's seen that God has been faithful and that God has been with him. And so we not only have each other in the church, but we have a friend in Jesus who by the Holy Spirit comes to make his home in our hearts. And I want to say, greater is he 
that is in you than anything that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than anything that is in the world. And so expect people to have an issue with you when you do what is right. That business deal that could have been ethically sort of mishandled and done a bit differently. Uh, that relationship that you want to just make sure is, is pure. Um, the money that you want to sow into the kingdom rather than into yourself. Standing firm on that political issue. We're seeing this in our world today. Might be the minority and yet perhaps it's actually God's way. And when you do that, there is opposition. In fact, in fact, if you're not ready and willing to face opposition in the choices you make and the life you lead, then perhaps we're not ready for God to use us. <laughs> Did I just say that? If we're not ready and willing to face opposition for the things we believe, then maybe we're not ready for God to use us. It's interesting to think, what if a law like this was passed in our society today? In fact, if Labor came in, there was likely to be similar types of laws in terms of religious freedom. In fact, in many parts of the world, this is law. And many Christians in those parts of the world face this exact challenge. What if a law like this was done today? How would we respond? Would we change what we do? Would we change what we believe to align with culture? Or like Daniel, do we remain unshakable and steadfast? Because Daniel faces a new challenge to his face, faith. And Daniel has some options. What are his options? Well, just don't pray for 30 days. That's nothing too bad, is it? It's only 30 days. I can go 30 days without prayer. Nothing too too bad. Well, here's another option, and this is probably, to be honest, what I think I'd do. Just pray privately. Just close the door and close the blinds. <laughs> No one's going to see you. You can still still have your devotion to, for God, but just the other people won't, won't see you. But no, what does Daniel do? Anyone know the story? What does Daniel do? First thing he does is he goes home, publicly opens the windows, and he prays. And Daniel does this as his first choice not as a last resort. I think sometimes when we face challenges, we try to work things out and we try and, like, what can I do to, to fix this problem? And, oh, if that doesn't work, at least I can pray about it. Daniel's first choice of weapon is the weapon of prayer. And so Daniel, we read, when he learns about this decree that's been done, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Now, sometimes we might just look over these words, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Now, what's so significant about that? 
Jerusalem was where the temple was. For the for the Israelites, that was where the very presence of God dwelt amongst them. That was where God came to be with them. That was their holy place. That was their special place. So in Daniel opening his windows that opened towards Jerusalem, what Daniel's actually doing is he's orientating himself towards God. He's orientating himself towards the presence, the majesty, the wonder, the way of God. And this is what prayer does in our lives. It opens us up and it aligns us to the way of Jesus, to what he has for us, his word, his way, above our way. And for Daniel, yes, he could have had a few options of not praying for 30 days or to pray silently, but what that does is it actually sort of turns you a little bit off-centre and it might seem like a little thing. It might seem like a little justification or a little going over the boundary of what God wants for our lives. But you know the problem? Little by little, bit by bit, when we're slowly getting off centre, slowly off alignment, oh, that bit doesn't matter, oh, that compromise doesn't matter, oh, I can do that in my business, oh, I can do that in my relationship, oh, I can, I can stand with society when it's easier to do that than what God wants. Before we know it, we're actually got our back to the ways of the Lord and to what God actually chooses for us. And so praying, devotion, quiet time, reading scripture aligns us to what he has for us, particularly when we go a little bit off kilter. Um, I went to a chiropractor once, well, I went twice because it didn't really do anything, um, and I, w- I went to a chiropractor and they say, well, we're going to do this procedure and it's called a realignment, right? So your, your spine is out of alignment and my job is to put it back in alignment. Okay, so our spiritual lives are out of alignment and our quiet time actually puts us in alignment. And so she did some things to my back, crack, 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 that's all good. I want to see you in a, a week's time. So I go to the chiropractor and I'm sitting there in the waiting room waiting to be seen. And there's the waiting room chair and I sit on it just like I normally sit on a chair. Like this. I've got my phone out. I'm just sort of waiting for the chiropractor. Yep. And she comes out. She says, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? I'm just just waiting. Look at the way you're sitting. <laughs> I'm trying to fix you and you're working against me. That's what she said to me. <laughs> you're working against me. See, I feel like the Lord in our devotions and in our disciplines 
is trying to realign us to his ways. And yet because the way we treat them, sometimes we're working against him. And we need to realign ourselves and sit properly in order that the disciplines might actually do their job. So continuing in verse 10, so he went up to the upper stair, the room, the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. First of all, three times a day. Three times a day. I find this both fascinating and confronting. Do we pray three times a day? Well, I say grace, does that count? Um, Say prayers with my kids at bedtime, does that count? Now, this isn't what we're talking about. Three times a day, he set aside time to be with his God. He set aside time. So that's the first thing. So we set aside time in all sorts of things in our lives But do we set aside times for our spiritual discipline of quiet time? We will set the alarm clock for when we get up. We will say it's lunchtime now because my tummy's rumbling, therefore I'm going to set aside this time to eat. My favourite TV show is on, it's 8.30, stop the world. (laughs) I'm going to prioritise this, like set aside time to watch this. Yet Daniel three times a day set aside time to be with his God. Secondly, just as he had done before. Now this is the most crazy bit. This is how the NIV translates it. Some translations say, as he has always done, or as was his custom as was his custom. So three times a day isn't just because of the new situation. Three times a day was his custom, as he had always done. Based on the circumstances facing Daniel, he could have changed his routine. But Daniel has something in place in his life, a discipline of prayer, a constant devotion three times a day that is so entrenched, so unmoved, that is never pushed aside, but is constant, faithful, routined and set in place as he has always done, as was his custom. So let's be honest for a sec. Who in their own quiet times has something that is this regular, this frequent and this habitual? I'm so challenged by this. When we got home from our leadership day, Joe says to me, so Sam, based on who you want to be, what discipline are you going to start? And my answer was, "Mm." (laughs) not because I didn't know, but because I had about 50 that I was aware of that are disciplines that I know I need to put in place in order to be the best husband, the best father the best leader and the best pastor I can be. Mm. Where do I start? 
And so I want to ask you this morning, based on who you want to be, what discipline do you need to start? Does your prayer life need more routine? Do you need to up your Bible reading? Do you need to start journaling? Do you need to increase your intimacy with God in worship? See, like Daniel, we need to establish disciplines in our lives in order to be who we are called to be. And so let your be influence or change what you do. Let your be influence or change what you do, because it doesn't just happen. Yes, there is the miracle. Yes, there is the Holy Spirit moment that transforms us. But the most constant change happens when it's constant small disciplined things over time. So I said this week I was so challenged by this and I decided in a one lunchtime to go for a walk. It's like, right, I've got to, I've got to get this sorted out. I've got to just be with my God. Jesus, speak to me. It's me and you. I went for a walk uh, in some bushland and every time I started to pray or think about the Lord, my mind just wandered off to my to-do list. I started thinking about this sermon, thinking about that email to respond to. I got this group to set up. What am I going to do about this problem? And then I'd remind, oh, oh, that's right. I'm supposed to be praying. So I'd start again. I'd start praying. Just quiet time with God, you know, just la, la, la. And straight away, my mind's just thinking about the sermon, thinking about this, thinking about that. And after about an hour, I actually said, Lord, I can't concentrate, and I'm so sorry. And I broke down in tears. Because my to-do list pushed aside my to-be list. My to-do list was pushing aside my to-be list. You see, our being is that we are children of God. We are holy and blameless. We are set apart. We are adopted into his family. We are seated with him in the heavenlies. That, that is what he has done for us. That is our being. And out of that should be our doing. It should influence what we do and what we prioritize. And yet I was allowing my doing, 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 doing to actually affect my being. And like me, you might be facing pressures today, struggles you're going through, opposition to what you're standing up for in the workplace, the uncontrolled circumstances that are happening around you. And you find that these pressures are influencing and changing the way that you are and God has called you to be. But what we learn from Daniel is that he was able to stand unshaken and unchanged before people because he was willing to kneel before his God. He was able to stand unshaken in what he believed because he was willing to kneel before his God. His doing, his standing, was a result of his being, his kneeling. His ability to stand unmoved in his character, his disposition, his routine of faithfulness, 
unshaken by the events around him was because of a lifetime of kneeling before God. And of course we see this in Jesus' own life and ministry. Constantly Jesus would draw back from the crowd, draw back from what was happening and go spend time with the Father. Jesus needed to do this. And if we don't do it, are we saying that we're better than Jesus? Let me pastorally say this as best as I can. You're not. (laughs) Jesus needed to do this. We need to do this. And so we talk about spiritual disciplines. I was thinking about this. We call them disciplines because you have to be disciplined to achieve the discipline. Right? It's not easy. If it was easy, the discipline would be called something else. Entertainment. So we've got to be disciplined to do the disciplines. But the thing that I find most crazy about Daniel and inspirational is that I believe Daniel went beyond a spiritual discipline and it actually became a habit. Beyond a discipline to a habit, as he has always done, as was his custom. See, I have disciplines in my life. I read scripture, I pray, I have quiet times. And yet they remain in the discipline category because I don't pursue them constantly enough for them to become habitual. Um, Our daughter Sophie sleeps in our downstairs room, which we call the Lego room. (laughs) She's got a cot there that she sleeps in at night. And she's doing this thing at the moment where we'll put her to bed and after about five minutes or so, she'll, she'll work out something that she can call us back in for. Oh, you haven't put my socks on. I need a drink. Um, what's that noise? Um, and the other morning, the other evening, sorry, typical routine, she calls out. She says, we haven't done our devotion. Thinking that that was a good, good one. I got you there, Dad. You're going to have to come in. And I said to her, oh, that's okay, Sophie. We don't have to do our devotion every night. And as I said it, I was like trying to catch the words and get them back in. Oh, did I just say that? We don't have to do them every night. Make that not sit in her mind and make her not remember that. What was I saying? For Daniel, it was as he's always done, as was his custom. I want to ask you a question this morning. What is your custom? What is your, as you've always done? Does your, as you've always done, need to change and make space for something that you always do? And I'm the first to put my hand up at this. I know that in in order to be the tiniest bit like Daniel, I've got to follow his example and not just be disciplined in my disciplines, but do them in such a way that they change how I live and who I am. Jesus says a similar thing when he talks about the wise and foolish builders. And we talk about that parable when we talk about, you know, 
building your life on the sand, that's a bit silly. Building it on the rock, Jesus is the rock. But the most important part about that parable is actually the intro. Therefore, if anyone hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is like the wise man. We often skip over the intro. It's about the person who hears what Jesus says and puts them into practice. And so Daniel is caught. He is caught praying because the other officers knew that Daniel would do it because he was constant and predictable. And Darius, the king, he's actually heartbroken because Darius likes Daniel. He's actually befriended Daniel. He's actually useful to Daniel. And Darius, is, he can't sleep, he fasts, he doesn't have entertainment, and he's really worried because he's put this law in place and he's realised that he's tricked. Darius's hands were tied. It was law. It was out of his control. So Daniel had an earthly king whose hands were tied but he knew of a far greater, more powerful heavenly king whose hands are never tied, who acts and works on behalf of those who are faithful to him. Verse 23 says he's pulled out of the lion's den. No wound was found on him. Why? Because he trusted in his God. Because he trusted in his God. Daniel's faith is what got him through. came across a great quote the other day. that said, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is control. And when we have our lion's den moments, we can try and control. Daniel could have used his political nous to try and worm his way out of it. He was pretty clever. But he gave up control and went to faith. We might have lines den moments pressuring us right now, pressurizing us to compromise our beliefs, and you might feel like your hands are tied. Things are out of your control. No that there is a heavenly king called Jesus who sits on high, who is all-powerful, who has conquered death itself, whose hands are never tied. Whose hands are never tied. And he asks us to put our faith in him. And lastly, the most amazing, beautiful thing about this story is that Darius sees Daniel's faith and becomes a believer. See, sometimes living for Jesus means persecution and hardship. But sometimes in living for Jesus, he uses our example to bring others to faith. I just want to finish by reading Darius's words. And I want you to listen to this. Because it sounds like a worship song. It sounds like someone who is just 
full on for God. Sounds like a psalm. This is the Persian king. He is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. What an amazing statement from a pagan king who is completely transformed and changed in his mind by the faith of one man, Daniel. I invite the music team up. We're going to sing a song that speaks about building our life upon his love and that we will not be shaken or moved. And as we sing this, I'm aware that I might have hit a few points in your heart like God's done in my heart. Maybe this morning you're aware that you're a little bit out of alignment. You're actually aware that you're living and doing things that Jesus wouldn't be happy about. Those little compromises, those little things that you do. Or maybe you've started to think your ways are higher than his ways and surely rationalised thinking is going to come about and be better than what God has done. And it just means that you're just slightly out of alignment. I just want to pray for you this morning that just as we sing this song, that God would minister to your heart and he'd just do a spiritual chiropractic work in your life, that he would align you to him. Or you might be really challenged, as I was challenged, about your spiritual disciplines, your reading of scripture, your prayer, your intimacy with God. And you're allowing the to-do lists and the pressures of life to push out that. I want to pray for you as well. Or you might have a circumstance right now that is out of your control, to which your hands are tied, and to which you need faith like Daniel to actually put your control over to him and trust that he will bring the right outcome in this situation. Will you join with me as we pray? Lord, I'll just pray for anyone here this morning who in hearing these words is just so aware that they might even have their whole back turned to you, Lord. Or they might just know of one tiny little thing. And by your spirit, Lord, you're, you're making them aware of that right now. What that is. That behaviour, that character trait, those thoughts. And Lord, as you bring those things to mind, Lord, I pray that by the blood of Jesus, you will do a new thing, as we sang this morning, you will do a new thing in these hearts and that you will realign them to your ways, to your goodness, to your purposes. 
And Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who knows deep, deep down that their life has pushed aside what is most important, that their understanding of Scripture, that their prayer life, that their intimacy with you is just being swamped and pushed aside. Lord, give them a supernatural strength to set aside time and allow that desire to be a fully-fledged follower of Jesus that makes a difference in this world to change and influence what they do in their daily lives. Do a new thing in their hearts, Lord. And Lord, for those people facing a lion's den moment, for those people who there are pressures, oppression, whether that be demonic, whether that be well-meaning people, whether that just be something that is out of their control. Lord, just like Daniel, will you give them the faith to look to you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, whose hands are not tied and whose hands are willing to work and is able and just to do and work and act and do a new thing in these circumstances. So Lord, as we sing, help to continue to minister to our hearts, speak to us. Or what is that thing that we need to start? What is that thing that we need to start? Minister to us now, Lord, as we sing in Jesus' name. Amen.